0: Hey yo, we are Getting Over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, Dada, with episode 279 of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back and it's Thursday, so you know what that means. We are here to talk all things AEW and NXT. It was a very eventful week across both shows on Wednesday and Tuesday respectively and your boy the Silver King is not going to waste any time getting right into all of the action but hey it's an addition of getting over it's another episode you know I would be remiss if I did not start this show like I do every episode by reminding you that getting over all. so please head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify leave those 5 star ratings on Apple also leave a review Let people know why you love the show, why you listen, why you subscribe, and convince them to do the same. Again, this is our biggest season of the year. It's WrestleMania season. Tons of stuff is happening. Bunch of shows, big shows still to come, and this is the time for us to grow, and you guys can help us with that. You can also help us grow on Twitter by following us at GettingOverCast. We tweet polls, GIFs, videos, Live commentary during the four major wrestling shows here in the United States. And of course, not only do we have the pre and post show polls ahead of pay-per-views, we do the live free shows on Twitter spaces as well. So every reason for you to follow us on Twitter at Getting Cast. Now, we're not going to waste too much time here uh, getting into the show. Just a reminder for these AEW and NXT episodes, just like every episode of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, We have episode descriptions with timestamps, so if you want to skip around, you have the option to do it if you only watch AEW, if you only watch NXT. But as I always caution you guys, I hope you listen to the entire show. You should have a good idea what's going on in the other products, whether it's WWE proper, NXT, AEW, even if you don't watch. I do think it's worthwhile to spend, especially on on this show, 15-20 minutes listening to uh, the breakdown of the other program, and hey, who knows, maybe... It starts interesting you, and you decide to start watching it. That would be pretty cool. We are going to start today with AEW, which did put on a very special show, uh, Saint Patrick's Day Slam. I always have to remember whether it's Bash, Clash, Slam. AEW does so many of these special shows; it's tough to keep track. Uh, but they did that for Dynamite on Wednesday. Found it to be enjoyable. Friday's Rampage. Look, you guys know it's very consistent. I've I been very consistent with this. Rampage is not the show for me. It just it doesn't work. Um, Frequently, it does not feel newsworthy enough or or important enough to really watch live. And therefore, most weeks these days, I'm watching it on Tuesday or Wednesday right before AEW Dynamite. But I do want to give a big shout out to the San Antonio crowd for Wednesday night. Fantastic pay-per-view level crowd. It made Dynamite seem bigger and better than it was as the sum of all of its parts. I actually was a bit disappointed overall in terms of what we got on Dynamite because it was a special show. There were title matches, and they built it up to such a big deal. But it was far better, far, far better than what we've gotten from AEW the last couple of weeks. And again, that's coming off a string of four or five episodes I thought were incredible heading into uh, AEW revolution. So, you know, maybe they're starting to get back on track. A lot happened on the show. Let's not waste any more time and get right to it. Uh, So on Rampage Friday... Jamie Hayter fought Mercedes Martinez, Hayter ate a Spider-German suplex off the top rope and almost landed on her neck, Britt Baker attacked Martinez behind the referee's back, Hayter won with a lariat, and I just thought it was a pretty weak finish to the match, it was solid, it got way more time than those stupid challenges that we've been getting with Serena Deeb on Rampage, so that was a positive, positive. and then Thunder Rosa made the post-match save after the heels threatened to stop Martinez into the title, and that of course set up the big main event on Dynamite which was the AEW Women's Championship, Britt Baker defending against Thunder Rosa inside of a steel cage. This was appropriately the main event of the show. Rosa came out in her adopted hometown of San Antonio. She wore a sombrero. She was holding Texas and Mexican flags and a mariachi band played at the beginning of her entrance. Baker had a Scott Hall NWO style drip gear, which she's been wearing the drip gear recently, so it wasn't specifically for that, but it was in black and white, which was very appropriate given the circumstances. Britt bladed minutes into the match, no surprise, and later threw a bunch of chairs into the ring. Rosa, I think, bladed. I don't think it was Britt's blood on her, but I'm not totally sure. Uh, Baker super kicked the referee. Then Rosa ran Baker into the referee, knocking him outside. Rosa covered for no count, then hit the Thunder Driver for no count. Baker stacked the chairs and hit an avalanche air raid crash into them for no count. A new referee, Aubrey Edwards, finally ran down for the heel, not the face because that makes sense, uh, and got a 2.5. Baker stacked eight chairs into a pyramid, climbed the cage, and simply fell backwards off the cage into them, which I just thought was the least impactful move they could have done given the fact that they set up all these chairs. I thought we were going to get something really cool and said she just fell into them. It was pretty disappointing as far as I was concerned. Baker dumped Thumbtacks in a callback to their Lights Out match and backdrop Rosa into them. She put on her glove and flicked the bird at the camera. So Rosa bit her hand and then smacked her ungloved hand into the thumbtacks, which I thought was great. Very inventive, very smart. Rosa then hit a powerbomb into the tacks. Baker completely no-sold it. She immediately rolled outside, got a chair, did a headshot on Thunder Rosa. Rosa no-sold it, rolled back into the ring, kicked her like once, and hit a Thunder driver into the tacks to win the AEW Women's Championship. This was a good match, don't get me wrong. But it was clunky throughout, and the finish was so odd given the two no cells. My guess is the whole thing was rushed due to time. But what you do when that happens is you don't try to run through all of your spots. You cut out a spot or you combine a couple spots. So you cut the power bomb and chair shot, and you just hit the thunder driver and you get the win. Or you hit the power bomb, and instead of Brit rolling outside to do the chair spot. You just immediately pick her up and do the Thunder Driver. Now she's hit, taken a Powerbomb and a Thunder Driver into the tax. That is a very legitimate way to lose the championship. In fact, more legitimate than the way the finish was actually booked. So those were my issues with it. This was a situation, I was fine with the blood. It did make sense. They did a lot of callbacks to the Lights Out match. So they were bleeding then, especially Brit. You have to do it again. I did think Lights Out on its own was overrated. People just loved her crimson mask and the way she looked at the camera, although there were a lot of really nice spots in there. This, for me, did not come anywhere close to lights out. So I went 3.25 stars and a B, but I did think both of them put in good work. The other thing that everyone needs to consider is AEW's steel cage match style. They really do it more as a topless hell in a cell where the cage goes around ringside so they can go under, get tacks, get steel chairs, all that type of stuff. For me, I just don't see why any of that is necessary to be put in the match. It's a steel cage match. That's a stipulation. It was almost like they just wanted to do another Lights Out match, but didn't want to do exactly the same thing one year later. So they made a steel cage, but they still allowed them to use all the weapons. You can still do a steel cage match with weapons, by the way, if the cage is literally on the apron, like in WWE. You have people throw chairs over the top or throw thumbtacks over the top. She has Jamie Hayter, Um, and Rebel. By the way, where were they? Why did they not come down to ringside at any point and interfere or help? Like, in kayfabe, it didn't make sense. I was glad that it was a clean match, but in kayfabe, why would they not be there? Very strange. So, you know, it was good, not great. That's the best way I can put it for the main event. On Dynamite, we had Hangman Page and Jurassic Express against Adam Cole and Red Dragon. This opened the show. Hangman had a great hot tag. Then the faces did a really choreographed triple moonsault out of the same corner. Luchasaurus later hit a double standing moonsault for a near fall. Cole caught Jungle Boy flying with a super kick. There was another really choreographed double Doomsday device spot off the top rope. Cole eventually caught Jungle Boy with the last shot and got the win. Overall, good match. There was a lot of tagging. So it was not a Rick Knox special, even though he was the referee. And also, yeah, some of the stuff was over choreographed. That's not my style, but both situations where that happened it was really inventive, and I appreciated that. The only real issue I had is the match didn't crescendo. It did not build to the finish. It just kind of happened. So I went 3.5 stars in a B. Good match, not something I'll ever watch again. Uh, on Dynamite, we also had a TNT Championship match, Wardlow against Scorpio Sky. Sky, of course, being the defending champion. Dan Lambert on Rampage said Wardlow would be a footnote after Sky retains and keeps his winning streak. American Top Team was at ringside. And they interfered for a bit. Wardlow had a one-armed spinebuster and three power bombs. By the way, after any of the power bombs, the guy could have covered. Decided not to. Lambert jumped on the apron to distract, and Sky rolled out of the ring. Wardlow went for a power bomb outside when Sean Spears came down with two chairs that distracted Wardlow. It also distracted the referee. MJF then came out of the crowd and ran Wardlow into the ring post, and then he eventually got back in the ring, and when he did. Sky just rolled him up for the one, two, three. Seriously, that was the finish to the match. Wardlow beat down some of the people attacking him. He went to powerbomb MJF when Spears hit him with two chair shots. A second rate MMA guy, I think he's Paige Van Zandt's husband. I don't know these people, uh, choked him out and Sky kicked him. Spears then delivered a chair shot to the head and MJF gave Lambert some clearly fake money before punching Wardlow with the invincible diamond ring, by the way, which could have been used rather than the steel post situation. We knew the obvious booking coming in, okay? MJF costing Wardlow the title. That was perfectly fine from a booking standpoint. Made all the sense in the world, created additional animosity between the two guys. But the execution of this was terrible. This beast who cannot be beaten, who dominates people, he got taken out with a simple run into the post that every other wrestler recovers from easily. Then he simply gets rolled up like 30 seconds later and he's still woozy enough from it, apparently, that he somehow eats the pin. Like, come the fuck on here. At least have Sky hit a finisher or a wrestling move or a pinning combination rather than a roll-up. Do something to make this more believable. Let MJF, even though I hate the damn diamond ring, let him punch him in the face with the diamond ring, which we at least in kayfabe know, knocks people out. I don't know why they didn't do any of those things for me for this being a big moment for Wardlow, I just was not a fan at all. zero. We had Brian Danielson and John Moxley against Wheeler Yuta and Chuck Taylor. It was really cool to hear uh, William Regal on commentary sharing some intricacies of the match while it was happening live. Yuta countered Paradigm Shift into a German Suplex Bridge for a nice spot and a near fall. Mox bit Chuck in the face and hit Paradigm Shift outside. That took him out for like ten minutes. Chuck was never seen or heard from again. Yuta kicked out after two strong suplexes. Danielson stomped his face and tagged Mox, who won with the bulldog choke. After the match, Yuta was walking backstage with best friends when he stopped on the ramp, turned around, and offered his hand to William Regal, who slapped him in the face. Yuta, rather than cowarding, got right in his grill, and then Danielson and Mox and Regal, they all nodded, and it looked like Regal indicated that they would consider accepting him into their group, but they didn't do it in the moment. I thought it was a really solid match. The goal of it was to let Wheeler to shine. He definitely did. The post match was exciting. The fight did go a little bit too long, the match itself, given the drastic talent disparity. But I do understand the point was to get Yuta a little bit of juice. Before this match, there was also a short video of Chris Stoutlander removing her makeup and all the alien ship. I always enjoy little teases like that. And I do hope that she's actually moving on from that because. I've always thought it's an incredibly stupid gimmick. I know other people like it. I'm not saying you're a bad person if you did. It's not for me. I don't think it did her skill and talent justice. So if she's able to move on from that, and I would hope she splits from the best friends too. If she's able to do all of that, I think it would be great. I'm a little concerned that the other direction is what they're gonna go in. Her kind of stopping being that and then best friends convincing her that's who she really is and bringing her back in the fold. I hope it's not that but it's too early to really determine that, so we will see. Uh, We also had the Jericho Appreciation Society commencement on Dynamite. 2.0 kissed Jericho's ass. Jericho took credit for everything that's been good in wrestling and said fans who talk shit suck, basically. Uh, He said the rest of the roster is made of pro wrestlers in AEW, but he's legendary and a millionaire because he's a sports entertainer. That obviously got booed by the fans. Daniel Garcia grabbed a mic. He said he is a sports entertainer too. Jericho put himself over for paying for Garcia's surgery, which like is true. And Tony Khan did also. I found it really weird to include that in a wrestling promo, but whatever. Uh, Jericho called back to his bad creative line for 2.0, saying that it's a shitty name, but that wasn't their name in WWE. They were Ever-Rise, and they also didn't use their ring names that they had in uh, AEW, in WWE. So I assumed he was twisting that and saying it was bad AEW creative to call them that. But I didn't really, I know he just wanted to do the callback to the start of uh, Inner Circle when he did, I think, uh, the Jake Hager deal when he first made the, when he first said the bad creative line. I know he wanted to call back to that, but it didn't really fit 2.0 the same way because no one was chanting anything and 2.0 chose their names. So it was their own creative that was bad. It was a little convoluted. Anyway... Jericho said they're now using their real names. He put himself over again for getting 2.0 jobs when they were fired by WWE. Jericho called Jake Hager the hand of the king. And then Hager said, We are the JAS and we beat up pro wrestlers. I was just split right down the middle. I saw people loved this. I saw people hated it. I literally love hated it like 50 50. It was a very try hard segment, if that makes sense. It felt forced in a lot of places. Jericho is basically trying to get heat by having them be WWE guys in AEW, which technically all of them are, with the exception of Daniel Garcia. That's certainly a choice, but it's one that feels kind of unnecessary and not necessarily that compelling. As a group, they feel more like a jobber faction, even though Chris Jericho is in there. They feel more like a jobber faction than they do a big time faction like Inner Circle did that could run rampant across all of AEW. I did enjoy the promo concept and I thought the execution was really good as well. The question is does this concept work long term and the only way we're going to know that is by watching and finding out. FTR backstage at Dynamite said they respect Holly Blanchard but they weren't on the same page with him. The Young Bucks came up and said FTR could hire could hire any manager, even the best there is. And it wouldn't matter because they weren't as good as the Bucks. Now, maybe it was just me, but it sure sounded like a Bret Hart tease. Maybe he shows up given this Owen event is starting in May, like eight months after it was first announced. I'd love to see him as a couple appearances as a manager. I don't think I'd like to see him as a regular where he's on screen, just like Roberts and Tully and all these guys are constantly on. I don't think I want that for Bret Hart, but if he's there manager for like a big match against the Young Bucks, a number one contendership or something like that. I think it'd be really cool to see Brett again. On Rampage, Darby Allen fought uh, Mark Quinn. Darby hit a scorpion death drop but didn't cover. Quen hit an absurd 450 splash off the top rope outside. The crowd completely no-sold it, and I just didn't understand why. Uh, Darby avoided a shooting star press and tapped Quinn out with an arm bar and a finger twist. The AFO stalked them afterwards, so the Hardys came out to even the sides. The match had its spots that were solid. The Hardys on Rampage when they came out, they came off to me like they were back in TNA. That's just how I saw it. On Dynamite though, we got a a tag team match, the Hardys against Private Party. The Delete shit was back. The Hardys were back in their old regular gear and Jeff was in face paint. I I thought back when I saw this to Matt when he requested his release from WWE saying, Vince wants us to be the Hardy boys. I don't want to be that anymore. Now, granted, that was like, Two years ago, but here he is being the Hardy Boys again. I just kind of thought that was all interesting. There was a very loud chant for them. The referee allowed a blatantly illegal tag. I I don't know how that happened. Uh, Quinn hit a tope cannonball into Matt. There was a We Want Jeff chant. Private Party tried uh, the Hardy's splash in the corner, but Matt snuffed it out. Jeff got the hot tag and hit all of his signatures. Matt stopped gin and juice with a side effect. Jeff then hit a regular splash for a two count. There was a double twist of fate counter, and then the Hardys both hit twist of fate before Jeff landed the Swanton Bomb for the win. This was exactly what the match needed to be. The Hardys are they old, yes. They're a step slow, sure. They got the job done. After it was over, Andrade El Idolo and AFO came out with Darby and Sting making the save, just like last week. No one fought, very repetitive. Clearly, we're going to have an eight-man tag team match soon. I have to assume it's going to be next week on Dynamite, but I don't think it's announced just yet. Chad Placinka at I Don't Exaggerate, he wrote in, Matt Hardy, two years ago, he debuted in March 2019, he's had three to four gimmicks, a 30 and 13 record according to the AEW site. Has he had a successful AEW run or not? Um, you know, I think the best way to put it with Matt is he's been pretty irrelevant. Like, yeah, he's been on TV, he's been involved in a couple things. They did have the, I think he was part of that Stadium Stampede match, the first one, And that was pretty cool. But yeah, nothing he's really done has worked. It hasn't gotten over. He's kind of just been thrown in with other people. And he's looked a step slow. And in terms of the creativity, all the creativity that we saw in TNA and Impact that fans in WWE, you know, thought we saw a little bit, right? When the Hardy Boys first broke up and Matt started doing the delete gimmick, the Woken version with Bray Wyatt and that whole deal. We saw that a little bit. Uh, and then he kind of goes over to AEW, and I think everyone was like, oh, he can—he gets to be creative again, and he gets to do all the crazy Matt shit. Well, he's not really doing it. It's, he's kind of just, he did a version of the Woken Broken, didn't really work. He became Big Money Matt, didn't really work. And now he's back at Hardy Boys. So yeah, I would say no, not a successful AEW run, at least not so far. But I do think that there is every reason for them to push the Hardy Boys, the Hardys, whatever they want to call them. Uh, because Jeff's there, and Jeff's the money guy. He really is. And the group always has been, and I think Matt knows that. Uh, Swerve fought Tony Nice on Rampage. Swerve hit a deadlift Rainbuster for a near fall. nice came back with a fireman's carry Gutbuster. nice caught Swerve with a basement heel kick and a 450 for another near fall. Swerve then double stomped Nice off the apron and hit his rolling flatliner for a 2.5. He finished with the running heel kick and a coup de grace that he kind of missed for the win. I thought we'd get a JML driver. I was surprised we didn't. Really solid match below what I expected from these two, below what we've seen before from these two. But it was entertaining, 3.25 stars and a B. And then last here, we had Keith Lee against QT Marshall on Rampage. Lee pounced Marshall after avoiding the diamond cutter. Then he hit the Big Bang Catastrophe to win in four minutes. Keith tossed Aaron Solo over his head, hit Nick Camerota with a spirit bomb, and then threw Solo out of the ring. Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs attacked. Keith got some shots. Hobbs hit a huge spinebuster that laid Lee out. The spinebuster spot, was really good. It was the only actual part of the match and segment that I enjoyed. And then on Dynamite, Starks talked talk trash to Keith backstage, saying Rampage was their show and he shouldn't be on it. This is after it was announced that Lee was booked on the show against Max Caster. The whole thing is nonsense. I don't understand why Keith isn't fighting Team Taz already. Why, like, What is preventing it? They're clearly going after each other. Let them fight. Why are we dragging it out? The Acclaimed cut a horrible promo later. Starks came up and told them they need to put the new guys, I guess, like Keith Lee and Swerve down. Swerve interrupted. He took exception to that. Then he walked off. And I just looked at kind of what they were doing. And I thought it was strange how all these guys, they're shoving together into this extended storyline that really doesn't have to do much with each other, with the exception of Swerve and Keith Lee being new and Starks and Hobbs saying, well, you know we don't want you taking our spot. That's a good story for a tag team feud. You got you want Lee and Swerve to team up against those two. I'm all for it. By the way, I think that would be an absolute banger of a tag team match. But I don't know why all these. Why is the factory involved? Why is the Acclaimed involved? The Acclaimed was just challenging for the titles and, and involved in all that shit. Now they're in a low card feud with people who shouldn't be in the low card. And and by the way why does Starks and Hobbs, why do they run around with each other, but Hook is never with them? If he's part of Team Taz, we only see Hook solo and we only see these guys solo. They used to be all together with Brian Cage. I do not understand any of that. And by the way, we don't see Taz with them either. It's like Taz isn't like next to them or walking around or cutting promos anymore. So I just don't get what they're doing with this. And I really wish they would figure it out. There's a lot of talented people that I just talked about that deserve to be doing more than they are. So as I said... Uh, It was a step up for Dynamite with the St. Patrick's Day Slam. Big step up from the last two weeks, but still nowhere close to those four or five go-home Dynamites we got before a revolution. And I really do hope that they figure some stuff out and kick some of these new storylines or whatever they're trying into gear, because I want to feel the intensity. And right now, I really don't feel it. With that, let's move over to NXT. A lot happened on that show as well. We got Miz TV. With Dolph Ziggler to open, Uh, Miz was really hype. Closed circuit video showed Braun Breaker going wild, looking for Ziggler and Roode earlier in the day. Ziggler said he's a fighting champion. He loves wrestling. They started bragging about money. LA Knight came down to challenge for the title. Ziggler said he'll only fight superstars. Miz said Knight isn't one yet, but will be one day. Knight said, well, that's good because I'm a megastar. And then Ziggler took his challenge for the main event. I'm not going to say this was spectacular or anything. It was a strong open to the show, though. If your goal is to capture... Main roster of viewers who may have tuned in. If that was the purpose, makes sense. Backstage, uh, Gunther told Knight he talked himself into a title match, but he didn't earn it. Gunther called him an embarrassment. Knight told him to look around and find some charisma somewhere because this is sports entertainment. I thought that was a really solid backstage segment between the two, clearly setting up a match between them for stand and deliver. The main event of the show was the NXT Championship Ziggler versus Knight. To me, it just kind of came out of nowhere that they even booked this. L.A. got a ton of offense, hit most of his signatures. He got a near fall when Breaker returned and walked into the PC. Knight jumped to the top rope for a superplex and a 2.8. Rude distracted and Knight hit an inverted fireman's carry slam, but Ziggler got his foot on the rope. They each countered finishers before Ziggler threw Knight into the turnbuckles and hit the super kick to win in 12 minutes. Strong match, 3.5 stars and a B, but it seemed silly to just throw away a title challenge for Knight when he's one of the most over people on the brand. And no matter what happens at Stand and Deliver, could have been a really good first contender for Ziggler after that, or perhaps Braun Breaker, because that's what we're getting to next. Braun charged out after the bell. He demanded his rematch at Stand and Deliver. Ziggler accepted and that was it. So again, both title challenges, the one on the show and the one at Stand and Deliver. Challenge, okay. I feel like you need a little bit more story than that. At least with Braun and Ziggler, it has been stretched out. Where obviously Ziggler was giving him a lot of grief. Ziggler didn't pin him for the title. Vic Joseph pointed that out. That was very important in the moment. I did enjoy that from commentary. Simple, it worked to get a stand and deliver match. Was it great? I wouldn't say it was great. Tommaso Ciampa walked down depressed at the start of the 9 p.m. hour of the show. He flicked his arms out like Razor Ramon. He got a ton of chance during his promo. He said on the top turnbuckle saying he always wanted a place to call home that would let him run with the ball. He said NXT under WWE gave him that chance. He recounted his career, called himself the greatest champion, but credited the fans for getting him over both as a face and a heel. Ciampa said NXT changed, but he and the fans never left. He said he wondered what his perfect fairy tale ending looks like and walking into stand and deliver as champion may have been it, but he failed to win the title. Champa wondered if there's a perfect way to close this chapter. He said he doesn't have an answer, but he wanted to say thank you before it's too late. Suddenly, Tony D'Angelo showed up behind him with a crowbar. He dropped the crowbar, saying he respects Champa too much to attack him, and he wants to beat him so he can become the man in NXT. They shook hands. D'Angelo then kneed him down low and said, it was always you, Tommaso, calling back to the Godfather. He promised to become the new Don of NXT. The crowd was annoying as shit during this. I just got to say, trying to get itself over with Chance instead of listening to Champa cut a really good promo. His promo, his speech was solid enough. The ending with a challenger appearing was predictable. It was very similar to what happened with Johnny Gargano. But D'Angelo, he's the perfect opponent for Champa if he's going to go out. I figured once we saw Champa so many times on Raw, a call-up was imminent. And it definitely seems like he's going to be a post-WrestleMania call-up at this point. There's a chance he's successful there as long as they don't name him like Grizzle or something like that, I think it'll work. Even if they cut Tommaso Champa to Champa, I still think it would work, okay? But, or even Tommaso, honestly, but Champa would be better of the two. Uh, so yeah, stand and deliver match, Champa D'Angelo, makes sense. I think it'll be exciting. Uh, we had a North American Championship ladder match qualifying match, word salad right there. Uh, Cameron Grimes against Santos Escobar, Really good back and forth action throughout. Grimes jumped over Legato del Fantasma for a cannonball off the apron. Escobar caught him flying with double knees for a near fall. Grimes came back with the running Spanish crossbody for a 2.8. Escobar caught Grimes running for the cave-in and countered directly into the Phantom Driver for the win in 12 minutes. The truth is both of these guys should probably be in the ladder match. Thought it was weird that this was a qualifier, but it was a bunch of fun, well-wrestled, clean, despite Legato being at ringside. 3.5 stars, and a B. Grimes later was pissed about the loss, saying his promise to his father three years ago was that he would become a champion in NXT. It feels like he's gonna get a last chance type of opportunity like WWE always does. They do three qualifying matches and then a triple threat with the losers with the last person getting in. They haven't announced it. I have a feeling that's what's gonna happen on the go home before Stand and Deliver. Escobar cut a promo backstage about winning the North American title. Rey and Dominic Mysterio walked up. Escobar and Rey shook hands. That popped me, obviously. You guys know I love both of them. Legado called Escobar the greatest luchador ever. Dom obviously took exception to that, and we wound up getting a singles match. Dominic against Raul Mendoza. Dom actually came out to his own music, which I'm not saying it hasn't existed before, but I don't remember hearing it before. There was some good lucha-style work. Electro Lopez distracted Dom on the top rope, but Fallon Henley tore her down and got backed up by Briggs and Jensen. Ray then took out Escobar as Dom hit the 619 and Frog Splash to beat Mendoza in a few minutes. The crowd loved this. It ate up the entire thing. It was chanting, that was awesome, after it was over. I don't even think I've ever heard a that was awesome chant. No doubt it got over big. For me, they should have cut another match off the show and given this more time. Mendoza and Dom worked really well together. First of all, Raul Mendoza is so freaking underrated. This guy, he's like, Cedric Alexander, he can do it all. He just needs a bigger stage and opportunity. Uh, Legato, you guys know, I love them as a group. Man, it would be great if they figured out something to do to get Dom in NXT and off of the main roster. It just reminded me that he belongs in NXT. I'd love to see him there. Ray can be on the main roster. He can get a main event push, a mid-card push. He can totally work as a solo, I'd love to see Dom down there. Hell, I'd love to see him turn heel and join Legato and maybe even do a little bit of Rocky Maya Villa joining Nation of Domination, where maybe he figures it out, right? By joining a faction and becomes the guy to take it over. Like that would be such good booking. So I know they won't do it. I know they're gonna keep Dom with Ray on the main roster. It would be best for both of them, though, at least for us as fans, you know, the product that we're getting on television, if they split and Dom was an NXT. A-Kid fought Kushida, A-Kid was making his NXT US debut, but he didn't even get an entrance. Good technical wrestling and mat work, A-Kid did a kip up into a Northern Light suplex for a near fall, he caught Kushida climbing the ropes, flipped back into the ring for a Tornado DDT and got the win in five minutes. I didn't expect Kushida to win, which is obviously a shame, but letting A-Kid beat him in five minutes tells you all you need to know about how they see Kushida, he's just done, it sucks that he's there and not getting pushed or booked. it It's just really unfortunate. A-Kid will face Grayson Waller next week in a North American ladder match qualifying. Uh, I don't see why this match with Kushida couldn't have been a qualifier with Waller getting a different opponent next week. That didn't make sense to me. The other qualifier is going to be Roderick Strong against Solo Sokoa. That's going to bang. I'm very excited for that. We'll probably see that triple threat, like I said, on the go home after these matches conclude. Cora Jade backstage said Raquel Gonzalez is out four to six weeks and Toxic Attraction will have hell to pay. She showed off that she stole all three of their title belts. So we had Io Shirai and KLR cutting a promo about winning the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic next week and then going after Toxic Attraction. Wendy Chu and Dakota Kai were still being positive when Toxic Attraction was furious about not having their titles. Chu and Kai said they didn't need their help last week and started getting along together. I just assumed that they would do the finals at Stand and Deliver. But now that I actually think about it, it does make a lot more sense to do it next week. You have to go home and then you have the title match on the show. So there you go. JC Jade found one of the women's titles hanging in like a boiler room area. She pulled it down and that led to like a contraption that locked her in a booby trapped cage that was set up by Cora. Gigi Dolan then found hers on a dumpster lid. She jumped in to get it and a forklift slammed the lid shut as Cora taunted her. Jade then jumped into a Range Rover with the title, the main NXT women's title, but Mandy Rose was in the back seat. Mandy absolutely beat her ass in the parking lot, talked a lot of shit. Then she grabbed spray paint and sprayed Cora's back, but it was completely indiscernible. Like I had no idea what she was spray painting. I guess it was a TNNA for toxic attraction, but it couldn't even tell. Uh, what the thing that came to my mind is it was a better brawl than Charlotte Flair, Ronda Rousey on SmackDown. And it was Cora Jade and Mandy Rose. It tells you how bad the Flair Rousey brawl was. Uh, the whole Roadrunner deal with Cora, I did find that to be fun and a little bit different using Toxic Attraction as Wiley e. Coyote. Whatever, you know, was it great? No, it was fun. You know, it was fine. Uh, Rosa and Jade was made for Stand and Deliver. So Cora's gonna get a title match against Mandy right away. I could not think of a less interesting women's title match for a It's not a takeover, but, you know, it's a takeover equivalent type of show, given all of the incredible women's talent on the NXT roster. They're giving Cora Jade another title opportunity, and it's against Mandy Rose. It'll probably be the worst NXT women's title match in the history of one of these types of events. It just makes no sense that she keeps getting opportunities when she doesn't win shit, and there's so many other women on the roster. So that, to me, is super annoying. The Creed brothers uh, ran into the ring with mics screaming. They wanted to know who attacked them. MSK entered in NWO shirts. Wesley said, hey, yo, promised they didn't attack the Creeds, but were angry that they cost them the title match last week. Malcolm Bivens said MSK had to wait its turn. Imperium came out on the lift. They said they wanted both teams to prove themselves in a triple threat match because Imperium fears no one. This was the expected booking. But as I said last week, it's strange that the Creeds won the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic fair and square and don't have a singles match for the titles. Bivens questioned Grizzled Young Veterans and Idris Onofe and Malik Blade about whether they attacked the Creeds last week. Both teams denied it, but it got heated with the Creeds and GYV, so they're going to have a match next week. Saray had a scheduled match against Tiffany Stratton. Stratton attacked during Saray's entrance and ripped off her amulet. She continued kicking her ass all the way down the ramp into the ring, where they ran the bell despite her not being ready. Stretton avoided Saray's decapitation dropkick, hit her springing handstand splash in the corner, and won with a twisting Vader bomb in one minute. I would go crazy here on Saray losing in one minute. I would also go crazy on her wrestling in the schoolgirl outfit. But the whole story that I think is lost on people who are criticizing this is the amulet changes her. So no, she's not going to wrestle like that. And... She never had a chance to even fight Stratton because she was getting her ass kicked the entire time. So I thought it was very blatant and obvious what the story was. It was fine. Was it ideal? No, she should still be able to go a few minutes without the amulet, without converting into the Saray that we all know. But was I upset about it? No, I wasn't upset about it. Indy Hartwell fought Persia Prada. The crowd was dead silent for this match. Duke Hudson distracted Indy, which let Persia try to finish her but Dexter Loomis popped out from under the ring to distract Persia, and Indy rolled her up for the win in two minutes. The couples then made out with each other with the girls pouncing on the guys in the ring. This may have been the horniest NXT segment yet, and every week there are very horny NXT segments. This whole thing is just dreadful to the point that I have negative interest in it. It was silly for them to split Indy and Persia. The whole thing is just nonsensical. If they put a mixed tag team match on Stand and Deliver, or maybe the go-home NXT for it. That's gonna be the pits. Hopefully, this is just something for TV. I don't want this to continue. I just want it to end. They should probably figure out a way for Indian Dexter to break up. I mean, the way is done. Austin Theory's on the main roster. I don't know why they're sticking with it. Fans don't care about it anymore. It's over, Johnny. It's over. And that's it from this week in NXT. As you can tell, uh, I wasn't particularly fond of what we got on either show this week, but there were bright spots. Unlike the last two weeks where I said NXT had the better wrestling, in-ring wrestling product than AEW, I thought this past week, AEW definitely jumped back up on top. And again, that's not something that should ever be a contest. AEW on Dynamite should always have better wrestling than NXT. Uh, but as of you know, the last two weeks, NXT was putting on some banger matches. AEW this week definitely took the mantle. Better overall show, Better wrestling, not even a question about it. And that is it for this week in the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast Universe. If you missed it, please go back and listen to our WWE episode where we did an extended segment, Remembering Scott Hall. We also talked about everything that went down across SmackDown and Raw as the road to WrestleMania 38 continues, including a very long discussion about whether Cody Rhodes is gonna sign with WWE and if he does, where he should debut and when. So make sure you listen to that WWE episode. Make sure if you haven't yet, you go back and listen to our interview with Shane Swerve Strickland, which has gotten picked up all over the place. Uh, you know, one of my favorite interviews that I've ever done, one of the top downloaded interviews on Getting Over Wrestling Podcast in the show history of the show. So again, make sure you listen to that. Also, do not forget that Getting Over is all. About so head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Hit that five-star rating on Apple, leave a review. Let people know why you love the show. Those reviews are very important. And please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting That is it for this week. We will be back next Tuesday with our next WWE episode as the winding road to WrestleMania 38 narrows even further. With all of that said, the Silver King is just going to leave you with three final words. Bye for now.